hallowed be your name. We thank you that you're here with us now. That you have brought us to this time to hear your word. And I pray, Lord, would you teach us today what you want us to know? What you want us to believe? What you want us to do? You're a good God, a faithful God who's revealed yourself to us in your word. And you revealed yourself in the person of Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and rose again, gives us hope of eternal life. And so we can be confident, Lord, that you have good purposes for us, that you love us, that you are with us and for us. And I pray that we would hear that word today. I pray you do a work in this time, Lord, that only you can do. Would you humble us before your word today, transform us more into the image of your son. I pray that Jesus would be exalted in all that we do, all that we say, all that we think. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about how Jesus calls us to live into what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16, when he says, Live as people who are free. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Now, in Christ, we have been liberated from sin, and we've been freed to live as the people God created us to be. People who know that they are loved by God and who can't help but love God in return. People who are loved by God and so they're people who love other people in God and they show people what God's love is like by the way that they love them. Two weeks ago, we zoomed in to look at how that message of freedom liberates even slaves to see themselves as people who are made in the image of God with inherent dignity and worth, people who have the unique opportunity to commune with God through their suffering, people who can offer even their oppressors freedom by responding to their hate with love. Last week, we shifted our focus to look at how the message of freedom liberates husbands to view their wives as Christ views them, to treat them with the honor due to one who bears the image of God, to relate to their wives as to the prophet, priest, and king that they are in Christ. We looked at how that message of freedom liberates wives to live a reverent and holy life, to live with the deep inner peace that comes from knowing who they are and whose they are, which frees them to listen intently to their husbands and treat them with respect. And today, Peter zooms out to consider how that message of freedom, the freedom to walk in the love of God, the freedom to respond to God's love with love toward him, and to love people in God, how that freedom, that message of freedom, impacts all of us. 
And Peter is going to summarize what he's been saying in one long sentence. Verses 9 and 10 are really, verses 8 and 9 are really one long sentence in your bulletin. Then he's going to show his readers that this isn't some new commandment. What he's going to say isn't some new thing. The road of freedom in God is an ancient path that the prophets and the priests and the kings of old have walked for centuries. And one thing that Peter's going to say that I think is really important for us to hear today, Peter's going to say that walking in the road of blessing, everybody say blessing, walking in the road of blessing, blessing not just your friends, but blessing your enemies, is the vocation of all who dwell in God's presence. Because that's what God is like. Peter's going to call us to a road of blessing, a path of blessing, because that is what God is like. Now, I want to start at the end of our passage. At the end of our passage, Peter's going to quote, he's going to somewhat paraphrase, going to, you can tell that Peter has memorized this passage and he's, he's just spewing it out for his readers. He's, he's, he's quoting Psalm chapter 34. And in Psalm 34, what we see is it's a, it's a psalm of blessing. It starts with, with this, these beautiful words, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, if you know something about David, David had reason not to bless the Lord. But he had more reason to bless the Lord at all times. God had rescued David from the lion's mouth and the bear's mouth and Goliath's mouth. We talked about that a few weeks ago. He has ample reason to bless the Lord. And what, what, what David reflects on in this psalm is how God is near to the brokenhearted. God hears those who call out to him. God rescues those who are in need. Let's, let's just go to the psalm. Why don't you look at your bulletin? Let's go to the end of the psalm. It says, he says, I'm going to go to the psalm as printed in 1 Peter 3. He says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Why? Why? Should we be a people who are filled with truth from our mouths to our actions? Why should we be a people who are radically committed to the good, who abstain from evil and act in ways that bring about God's purposes for the world? Why should we be people who seek peace and pursue it, who have a bold persistence in working towards God's peace in their personal relationships and in their community? Why should they be that way? Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. How many of you know that God sees you? I see a couple of hands. How many know that God sees you? He sees exactly where you are. You've been in a position where you know you needed to pray for something, but you forgot, but God did it anyway. 
He sees you. So many times I didn't even know I had a need until God met it. And I realized I was a little bit void in that area. And God came to my rescue before I even knew it. How many ever heard God answer your prayer? How many ever heard God answer your prayer? Somebody you were praying for for years that came to the knowledge of Jesus. You needed bills to be paid or rent to be paid. And God sent you a check in the mail that you didn't expect. I'm telling you that God is a God who sees you and he hears you. He's with you. He loves you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. If Jesus came to die for you, there's nothing he wouldn't do for you. There's nothing he's not going to do for you. He sees you. You're marked by blessing. You're made righteous in his sight. That's why we turn from evil. That's why we keep seeking peace. That's why we pursue unity in our relationships. That's why we do that. And this has been a text that's been preached for generations. This is, this is David. This is like 6,000 years ago. Uh, 3,000 years ago. And yet Peter's saying, what I'm going to give to you is not a new message. What I'm going to talk to you about is the characteristics of the people of God. This is what we're like. This is what the righteous are like. These are people who are servants of God, who walk in freedom. This is what they're like. He's going to give us six characteristics. That's what we find in verses 8 and 9 of our text. You guys ready to walk into this? So what he's saying is there's, there's six characteristics. If you want to be known as free people, servants of God, here's what should mark you. He's going to say unity of mind. Yeah, you can say, I didn't ask you to, but feel free. Everybody say, unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. And this is the one. We're going to bless when we're treated badly. Now, we're going to start there. We're going to start at the top. Start at unity of mind. Now, I might say that, that these are all words, all but one of these words are words that you only see once in the New Testament. Uh, Peter kind of creates these because he's like, I'm trying to summarize what it looks like to live as free people. This is what it is. So this is like, this is raw. And this is the creative work of the Holy Spirit. So he says, unity of mind. When Peter thinks about what qualities should characterize followers of Jesus Christ, the first that he mentions is unity of mind. Now, Peter doesn't tell us exactly what he means by this. Again, he's creating this word. But the rest of the New Testament makes this more clear. First of all, it's important to recognize that unity of mind doesn't mean having the same opinions about everything. We come from different backgrounds. We come from different cultures. We have different preferences. If Christians from the 4th century and the 16th century and the 21st century came together, they would not agree about everything. If Christians from Russia and Brazil and the Ukraine came together, they would not agree about everything. If, people, if Christians came from 44th Street and 59th Street and 36th Street, they would not agree about everything. You see what I'm saying? If we look across the pew, we're not going to agree about everything. He's not talking about uniformity of thought. 
What he's talking about, though, is a unity of mind. See, there are some common truths that Christians believe. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who was born of the Virgin Mary, who lived the sinless life, who died on the cross for your sins, who was buried, who was raised on the third day, who is seated on the, at the right hand of the Father, who's coming back to make everything new. We all agree about that. The Bible is the Word of God that teaches us how to be right with God and essential to our understanding of truth. We, we agree about that. People are made in the image of God and therefore have inherent dignity and worth. And so we're supposed to value each person as worthy of respect and love and attention. We agree about that. Jesus is Lord and we worship him and we serve him. We agree about that. Amen. There's some things that we agree on. And those things that we agree on are deeper and more profound and more significant and have more value than anything we could ever disagree about. Which means that what holds us together is much more solid than anything that could ever tear us apart. And there's a certain approach to life that we have if our lives are centered on those truths. Over the last year and a half, we've had a lot of opportunities to have differing opinions. Do we mask? Do we not mask? Do we get the shot? Do we not get the shot? Trump, Biden, neither. There's a lot to disagree about. Even right now, your pastors have been in conversation to determine what in the world we're going to do about this Delta variant. The CDC has new guidelines. What are we going to do? But the reality is that in all these decisions, what we want is for our thinking, our processing, our decisions to be submitted to the truth of God and the love of God. Since Jesus is Lord, and since we are united in him, and since we have hope in him, how does that affect our approach to masking? How does that affect our approach to the vaccine? How does that affect our approach to politics? It affects our interpersonal relationships as well. If you're having a disagreement with your roommate or your spouse or your friend, it could be a significant disagreement. I know there's some significant disagreements happening right now in this church. Still, we consider this truth. I am a sinner in need of grace. You are a sinner in need of grace. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins. He's alive. He's coming back to make the world right. We're going to spend eternity together in the presence of God. And that's going to change the way you interact and approach that disagreement. There's a common approach to life that we have because we're in Christ. Everybody say, we're in Christ. Now, one more thing I'm going to say about unity of mind. Because we are a people committed to the truth, we don't give up on truth. Last week... Pastor John Mark gave us an exhortation. He said, when you come to a difficult passage of Scripture, remember what he said? You come to a difficult passage of Scripture, and it makes you mad, makes you angry, or it makes you sob. Don't write it off. Study it. Sit in it. Maybe put it aside, but commit to come back later. 
get into that text until you see the beauty of God in it. I think it was Augustine that said, if that our, our common lens through which we interpret the Bible should be love. Do you see God's love in this text? If you don't, then you don't have it yet. And I would say the same thing about our relationships. You might have a relationship where you and another person don't see eye to eye. Now, again, it's okay to have differing opinions. But as Christians, we don't write anybody off. If there's a brother or a sister, especially in your church, that you don't see eye to eye with, but I would say even across churches, ask for the Lord's help. Lord, is there more humility to be had? Lord, is there more understanding to be had? Lord, is there a different perspective that I can have? Is there a mediator that would help us? Let's labor for unity of mind. We're not going to see everything eye to eye, but our hope in Christ gives us the persistence to be at peace with all men as far as it depends on you. As far as it depends on you. I'm preaching to myself. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So everybody say unity of mind. All right, we're going to move on to sympathy. Now, when we often think about sympathy, we think about feeling sorry for someone, which isn't exactly what Peter has in mind to him. Peter says sympathy, saying that Christians have a deep concern for the needs and the joys of other people. There's a readiness to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. Much like we have a shared way of thinking in Christ, we have a shared concern for each other. Man, I love my community group. I just love my community group. If you're my community group, say, whoop! <laughs> Come on, man. I love my community group. Some of them say whoop on the camera. I know it. But they, I love my community group. Last week, Gina posted. She said, man, I need some help setting up my classroom. I got some kids coming and my room isn't ready. I want it to be a place of peace. I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth. Place of peace, place of hope, a place where the kingdom comes. I want to see this place where people, people where kids can come to know Jesus. I want it to be to be people where, where, where kids know they are valued and loved. That's what she said when she said, I'm looking for some help. That's what she said. And you know that uh, Melissa and Chloe and Lindsay and Morgan went up last Saturday and helped her set up her classroom. And she took pictures of it and looked beautiful. And you know what happened after that? This was awesome. On Thursday, she sends us a text with some, some exit tickets. If you're a little bit far out of education, some teachers, what they'll do is at the end of a class, they'll have kids write an exit ticket, which means you can't leave my classroom until you tell me you learned something today. That's what that means. And she asked them to tell them, hey, how do you feel after your first day of school? And we got those notes. She took a picture of two of them. One of them said, uh, I loved it, everything about it, something like that. One of them said, I'm not quite sure what I think, something like that, something like that, something like that. But what we did was we celebrated. Why? Because those are our kids. If they're Gina's kids, they're our kids. That's our classroom. Now, we don't. We're not going to necessarily go through all the emotions Gina's going to go to, but those are our kids. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We mourn with those who mourn. That's what it looks like to, to live with, with the sympathy. Now, now as, a, as a pastor, I know that this is the way we, we work, and this is so encouraging to me because, 
Because God has given me and our other pastoral team the, the work of, of being under shepherds of Jesus and caring for his church. But all the time, I'm in conversation where it just comes up that people are sharing deep concern for the well-being of their brothers and their sisters. You guys are having hard conversations, hard confrontational conversations with each other that need to happen. You're working together to share the gospel with someone's coworker. You're praying for each other and you're doing life together. That's what I'm talking. That's what this is. This is sympathy. This is the idea of I've got a shared feeling with you. I'm with you on this. We're together on this. Now, if you if you're here and you feel like you don't have that, you don't have people that are celebrating with you, that you're celebrating with, that you're mourning with, that are mourning with you, I would just encourage you, yo, lean in. Everybody say lean in. Don't lean out. I want you to lean in. Get in the community group. Be vulnerable. Sometimes vulnerability is the only thing that it takes to make it a vulnerable place to be. So let's, let's share our concerns with each other. Let's share our joys with each other. Let's celebrate with each other. Let's commit to each other. We need it. We're made for it. Sympathy. Everybody say sympathy. All right. Brotherly love. Some would say this is the epitome of this list. We've got, on one hand, the first word is unity of mind. The last one in, the, in this group of five that Peter has together is a humble mind. Then we've got sympathy and tender heart. It's kind of a heart thing. And then we've got brotherly love at the epitome. This is the, the bond that holds us together. I'm going to say it like Kirk Franklin. Turn to your neighbor and say, if God is our father... That means we're family. That means there's no them and us in the kingdom. We're all his. And we treat each other in light of that reality. Listen, this is really important. Our affection for one another is based off of our love for one another. Now, you might think affection and love are the same thing, but I might not always feel love for you. That's affection. But there always is love for you. Why? Because there's a love that joins us together. It's the love of God in Christ. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. We are loved. When I look at my brother and my sister in Christ, especially if there's some tension in their relationship, I can say, and this comes from a brother named Robert McGee, this person has great worth apart from their performance because Christ gave his life for them and therefore imparted great value to them. They are deeply loved, fully pleasing, completely forgiven, totally accepted and complete in Christ. And that's going to change the way I interact with my brother and sister in Christ. If I believe that God is your father and my father, it's going to change the way we act. Who in your life do you need to treat with brotherly love? Now, some of us have a jacked up view of what brotherly love looks like. Our family hasn't treated us very well. So if you want to know what love is like, we look at the one who taught us to pray our father which is Jesus. Brotherly love looks like laying down my life for you, giving up my needs for you, putting it all on the line for you. And if Jesus did that for me, I can do it for you. The closest we're going to get to the gospel 
often is going to be in the love that I see in you. Right? One thing I love about my wife is she has shown me what Jesus is like. Because when I come to her and I say, love, I've, I jacked this up. I have sinned against you. I confess to her. You know what her response is? In brackets, Jesus forgave me, so I forgive you. We're going to be all right. It's going to work out. We show each other what God is like. And when we do that, we image the gospel for our community. Brotherly love. I say brotherly love. All right, tender heart. Let's go to tender heart. This is a compassion toward the pain of other people. Christians aren't to be apathetic. Being tender of heart is not a personality trait. We care about people. We are moved by the pain of the world. Hope doesn't make us stop caring. Hope helps us dig deep into the pain of the world. Hope helps us sit in the brokenness. Hope helps us lament the evil and chaos around us because we know that our God is able to heal what is broken. If we read the letters of Paul, we see that he is concerned about the sin and the pain and the brokenness of the churches. He, when he's confronted with the sin of the churches, he doesn't just say, ah, y'all get over it. He gets right up in the middle of the mess. He's broken over the pain of his, bro- of his brothers. This means that if you're confronted with the sin of someone close to you, whether it's anger or deception or greed, a tender heart means you grieve over that sin, not just because it has hurt you, but because if this person doesn't let go of this sin, it's going to hurt them. When we have tender hearts, we confront each other out of love. We bear each other's burdens like Christ bore ours. That's what a tender heart does. Tender heart is merciful. Tender heart is compassionate. That should mark us. Everybody say tender heart. Fifth one is humble mind. This was the most difficult for someone that was living in the Roman world and to get. And it's probably the most difficult for us to get today, too, because pride shows up in a lot of areas. Pride can show up as self-promotion. I want people to see how great I am, how skilled I am, how gifted I am, how humble I am, how gentle I am, how loving I am, how righteous I am. Or pride can show up as self-deprecation. I'm not worthy. I'm not enough. I'm not capable. And all those begin with the same pronoun, which is I. But what humility does is humility is neither self-promotion nor self-deprecation. What humility does is it, 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 it forgets itself. Like Timothy Keller says, this is like, it's called self-forgetfulness. I come to Jesus with a poverty of spirit and I receive from him identity and joy and life and hope. So when I come to you, I'm able to entrust my needs to Jesus and give myself fully to you. I consider you as more important than myself, in the words of Paul. We have a humble mind toward one another. I consider your needs more important than my own. Whose needs are you overlooking? Family, whose needs are you overlooking? The sixth one is blessed when you're treated badly. And this is the one, man. This is, the, this is what Peter says, the marker of those who are free servants of God. 
blessed when you're treated badly. Let's read verse 9 again. It says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Now, scholars debate that middle phrase, for to this you are called. What is he he saying? He's saying that we were called to bless when we've been reviled or we called to obtain a blessing. Which one are we called to? Now, Peter's language here is ambiguous, but I think the rest of Peter's letter doesn't require that we choose. We are called, your vocation as servants of God is both to obtain a blessing and to bless those who have hurt you. So we as people of God are to receive the blessing and to reflect the blessing. Everybody say receive the blessing. Everybody say reflect the blessing. Let's start with receive the blessing. Family, God has been utterly good to you. Utterly good to you. If you were confronted with your own sin this week or even this morning, give me an amen. Amen. Every day, I find that I'm going to be more like Jesus by the grace of God, but I also find more and more of my sin exposed as I try to follow Jesus. I just want to be more like him. But this is the grace of God. I look forward to that day when my pride and my selfishness and my lust and my greed and my passivity are completely gone. But by God's grace, he has opened my eyes to my sin. Has God opened your eyes to your sin? That is totally grace. Don't believe the lie that God hates you because of your sin. God opened your eyes to your sin so that you can turn to him and commune with him in a deeper way. But listen, I want my schism totally eradicated. You do too. But much like the Delta variant, it pops up when you think you have it under control and you got to go back into your internal pastor's meeting to try to figure out how to walk in love in light of the new exposure. It starts like a sore throat, but if you ignore it and say it's just allergies, it could ruin your relationships and hurt the people you love. We want sin to be gone, but it's still there. We still rebel against the good God. By omission or commission. And yet, look at the vocation we've been given. We were called to inherit a blessing. That word obtain doesn't just mean obtain. It means inherit. I want to talk for a second about these words. Called to inherit a blessing. Called. We often think about calling as something we're asked to do. This person is called the priest. This person is called to the mission field. We're called to be disciples of Jesus. But part of being a disciple of Jesus, get this, is that we are called to receive. When God calls us, he doesn't just call us for output. He calls us for input. We were called to inherit. We were called not because of something you can offer, but because of something you could never offer. You weren't called because of some gifting or talent or status. You were called to receive. Now, there are some things you've been called to do, I'm sure. We're about to talk about some of them. But we remember that part of our vocation is to receive. 
I remember when that flipped in my mind about getting daily time with Jesus. I used to think that to have a quiet time was something I, that I was supposed to have a quiet time to show God something or to do something that God wanted me to do. And that changed when I realized that every time I sit down and open my Bible, I am responding to an invitation, an invitation to receive Jesus. And that changed the way I saw my time with God. Each week when we celebrate communion together like we're about to do, we're reminded that our vocation is to receive. Receive Jesus. Receive his love. Receive his forgiveness. Receive his cleansing. Receive. And the particular reception we have is found in the next word. We're called to inherit. Now, an inheritance is not just any gift, family. It's a gift offered to a son or a daughter. The word inheritance communicates family relationship. An inheritance is a portion of a family estate. The value of that inheritance really depends on who your daddy is. What's your daddy worth? What'd your daddy do? How fruitful were his enterprises? How well did he keep up his property? Was he neglectful or attentive? It's going to determine what kind of inheritance you have. Some inheritances are a pain in the rear. You got to pay somebody else's debt. You got to repair a bunch of stuff. So is our inheritance worth anything? Well, if your father is God, what's he worth? Well, he's the fount of all existence. What did he do? He created everything that was made. How fruitful were his enterprises? Well, he made something from nothing. He breathed life into the world. How well did he keep up his his property? Well, the Andromeda galaxy seems to be doing pretty well. And the Milky Way is on its way. And he is intimately attentive to every tiny issue in your and my life. Was he neglectful or is he attentive? He is fully present everywhere at all times in all of history. God is a God of abundance who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, who has no need, no lack, for whom nothing is impossible. He paid the debt all of us owed. In other words, having God as our father means this inheritance really is a blessing. Everybody say blessing. We have been given blessing in exchange for our conscious rebellion against the way of God. We've been loved, we've been forgiven, we've been cleansed, we've been made righteous, we've been adopted, we've been indwelt, we've been liberated, we've been set apart, we've been promised eternal joy with God forever. Receive it. Receive it. You are blessed, loved more than you can imagine. That's who you are. Receive the blessing. And out of that place, Reflect the blessing. Repay. Do not repay evil for evil or insult for insult. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you have been called. What would South Oklahoma City look like if the Church of Jesus Christ lived into their vocation of blessing their enemies? of blessing those that hurt them. I'm going to tell you a story to try to paint this picture, and we'll kind of close with this. Some of you have heard me tell this story, but it might be helpful to rehearse it again. It's a story of the theologian Edmund P. Clowney. Edmund Clowney was a 
professor at Westminster, Tim Keller says he learned preaching from clowning. He retells this in his commentary on 1 Peter. The year was 1948. The place was the town of Soon Chun near the 38th parallel. 38th parallel was a line dividing North Korea from South Korea. A band of communists had taken control of the town for a brief period and had executed Korean pastor Yang Won's son's two older boys, Matthew and John. They died as martyrs, calling on their persecutors to have faith in Jesus. When the communists were driven out, Chai Soon, a young man of the village, was identified as one who had fired the murderous shots. He shot the pastor's sons. And his execution was ordered. Pastor Son requested that the charges be dropped and that Chai Soon be released into his custody for adoption. Rachel, the 13-year-old sister of the murdered boys, testified to support her father's incredible request. And only then did the court agree to release Chai Soon. He became the son of the pastor and a belief in the grace of Jesus Christ. And that pastor's testimony is this. He said, And I thank God that he has given me the love to seek to convert and to adopt as my son the enemy who killed my dear boys. Pastor Son was freed by the love of God to love his enemy in a way that seems incredibly radical to us. And he had the audacity to thank God for the opportunity. I have two sons. To think about adopting the person who murdered them. To think about offering my last name and my legacy and any inheritance I could afford to someone who took the life of my two sons. It seems like a reconciling love that is truly out of this world. That kind of love is a love that would not have as its genesis anything in me. That is the kind of love that can only come from God. And thankfully, it does. Jesus Christ died for sinners. Jesus, on the cross, offered forgiveness to the very enemies who were killing him. And Mark tells us, probably from the lips of Peter, that one of those enemies, when he saw how Jesus died, said, truly, this man must be the Son of God. Jesus offers that same forgiveness and adoption and legacy and inheritance to us. We just receive it by trusting him. People will know we belong to Jesus when we see us love like Jesus loves. So he says, when you're reviled, bless. When you're treated with disrespect, Bless. When people hate you and even abuse you, bless. 
Is God making peace with abuse? Is he making peace with hatred? No, God is a just God. Psalm 34 says his, 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 his face is not toward the wicked. He will judge every deed. And our responsibility is to bless. Sometimes that blessing is a hard word of confrontation. And sometimes that blessing is to pray for the flourishing of the very person who just chewed you out and called you all sorts of names. He calls us to bless. How would your relationships be different if you blessed those who reviled you? How would your home be different if you blessed those who cursed you? How would your neighborhood be different if you blessed those who threw your trash on the ground? How would your workplace be different if you blessed those who gossiped about you and slandered you? How would our church be different if we blessed those who maybe have hurt us? We need this message today, friends. Much of me was intimidated, is intimidated to preach this sermon because I'm preaching to myself and it's costly what he's talking about. The kind of love that Jesus calls us to reciprocate can't be created. It can only be received and reflected. So we receive the love of God in Jesus Christ. And then we fight for unity of mind, for sympathy, for brotherly love, to maintain a a tender heart and a humble mind. And we bless those that curse us. And by doing so, we reflect the love of God to a watching world. And you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it. Why don't you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Our Father, you are in heaven. And we are on earth. And so we submit to you. We surrender to you. I know that surrendering this morning for a number of us is very costly. But you know something about cost. So I pray you'd help us, God, to hear your word today and to respond with love and humility and generosity and reflecting the grace of God that you've given us to, given to us to other people. Help us to live into this continually, consistently, until we see you face to face. So pray for my brothers and my sisters and for myself. Strengthen our hearts to believe the gospel. Strengthen us to hear your word to us. Strengthen us to do the work you've called us to do, even when it's hard. And I pray you to reflect your glory to the world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.